0: Here's Johnny! I'll
1: be back. And you will
0: know my name is the
1: Lord! I'm walking here! I'm walking here! I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Groovy. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, the podcast popularly known for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight's in this mini-bop. Malevolent magical murder mages, which is an M word drenched way to say witches. They're witches. This is a movie about witches. And that movie, my dear listeners and my dear co host, who I hope knows what we're already talking about before you've arrived, that movie, born of the blood sacrifice known as Kickstarter, and made by two first time writer directors named John Rocco and Abel Bruin, The Night Sitter. Joining me to discuss this movie about witches is is the G to my aloe, Jamie. Say hello, Jamie.
0: You know, I didn't share this uh, with uh, anyone in my friend group, but I also was transformed into a demon uh, this past Christmas. It oddly only helped me fit in better with my relatives. I'm still not sure how that worked out because I was killing quite a lot of people.
1: Well... You're from the South, so that makes sense to me. Did you Were you still wearing the cat ears?
0: Oh, I never take the cat ears off. That's just part of my identity at this point. They wouldn't know oh, it was me
1: otherwise. Actually, I could see you fully pulling off a 100% of the time cat ear look. Now, Jamie, I'm not saying you should. I'm saying I could see you do it.
0: I, I was going to say, I I'm, was typing in the address for everydaynyah.com. I was going to pick out a whole wardrobe. like built up my confidence there.
1: I'm sorry. I'm now just imagining you... Uh, dressing up as Nyan Cat for Halloween <laughs> and I want to see this happen the next big ass pumpkin day but the Night Sitter before we get off on too much of a tangent 30 seconds into the podcast the Night Sitter is a movie I had the privilege of watching for the first time um, two years now I realize we're in 2021 which is weird and off-putting the bad time shouldn't stop until the end of 2020 but they're still going so i'm thrown off completely um and i i was graced with the screener for the night Sitter for the website horrormovieshub.com, where you can find my written review of it from a while back and i have never been so taken with a movie out of goddamn nowhere like zero to 60 this is my new favorite movie probably since um it'd be like terror fire
0: yeah I'd say it's it was kind of similar to that for me whenever you turned me on to this like this movie went from being something I'd never heard of to being something I really enjoyed to as of this year's rewatch, just being part of my seasonal horror movie rotation
1: oh yeah it's i it it both fits into October and December perfectly, even though it's not like it takes place during Christmas, but we'll get into why it takes place during Christmas, which is brilliant. But I, I love how it, that way it can play as both. So you can just rotate it whenever the fuck you want. Uh, Christmas in July, watch the night sitter. Um, Thanksgiving, watch the night sitter. Easter Sunday, watch the night sitter. Celebrate the life and times of Leif Erickson. Watch the night sitter. It actually <laughs> okay. kind of work because of like the whole witchcraft thing that's, that's in it, like olden times and, and, and some Norse stuff. But anyway, um, I had, like absolutely. Never heard of like zero radar. Just it was on a list of screeners I saw, and I was just taken with the title The Night Sitter. Like, okay, that sounds awesome. The trailer looks cool. Okay. I am like years later, there's there is a very like niche group that still like actively discuss it. Like, it has it's a movie that definitely has a fan base, but. I'm honestly still a little bit bummed out that it has not exploded in the way that it needs to. Like, I'm waiting for it to show up on Shutter and a whole big audience discover it. Because this is a big fucking, like, this is a big fucking movie that I could see, like, uh, play on, like, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs or something. Like, this is a fan oh, base totally. waiting to happen. I'm still waiting for the sequel. I, I just want to see Amber and Kevin <laughs> battling, like, demonic hordes. With, lights, like, neon-soaked lights, like, drenching him. This Fourth
0: of July, they battle the Wendigo.
1: <laughs> they travel to Canada. But
0: they'd be, be they'd be able to use the same lighting.
1: That is true. Yeah, and I know your
0: review copies, you go into completely blind, and those are often a super mixed bag. I know you've done a lot of uh, movie, You've seen a lot of movies through your job that you didn't even uh, get around to covering, so... To not only get an absolute winner, but a winner of this size, <laughs> was uh, kind of amazing. And it's a movie that I could see some people like maybe seeing the trailer for, seeing its uh, tepid presence on IMDb, and just saying oh, that might be fun, but that's uh, not really a movie for me. We promise you, put this on at a party, put this on <laughs> on a movie night with your friends. This is so much fun and is so endlessly rewatchable. And I think a lot of that just comes down to how simple and brilliant the premise is. It's a slow burn babysitter horror movie where the actual monsters don't show up until I think over halfway through the film. Yeah. And then before then, it's just scene after scene of of a slowly building eeriness that works so well given the movie's comedic tone like honestly if you i remember you saying uh in your review uh, years ago that if they just took the monsters out and made this just a comedy about a sleazy babysitter trying to deal with kids while robbing a house it would still
1: totally work yeah it's like a perfect r-rated movie like premise and the comedy 100% works outside of what the horror is doing. Um and the and the character work I think is something that I was like really taken with with the flick. Like it has a brilliant premise outside of the horror. When you add the horror element on there, it's the idea of that movie, like that R rated movie. That R rated comedy with like cartoony characters and stuff suddenly be invaded by Argento monsters. But the character work is so well done. Like Amber is one of the better morally gray um horror protagonist I've ever seen, yeah, and I don't even know if necessarily gr- like gray is a good way of putting it, like she starts off viewing herself fully on as the villain, and she's the only character played straight, which is what I love well, outside of Kevin, the kid, those are the only two characters played straight, um not counting uh the witches, the three mothers, of course. Named after the Argento characters, Amber is so beautifully. This movie wears
0: all of its info directly <laughs> on its sleeve. It <laughs> wants you to know how goddamn nerdy it is, which can often be like a little much with like super culty horror movies. That fits this movie's tone so well. Oh yeah, because it's and not a it definitely serves a reason.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's 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 hearkening back and playing with what you know of those themes to essentially like build in like, yeah, this is this kind of movie that's suddenly invaded by this kind of movie. So it's using almost shorthand and referencing that stuff in good fun, but it's not like I said it's not obtuse. It's it's adding and building something kind of unique of itself that just kind of has these references and these loving homages uh just kind of as like the the dressing, like the just the the curtains. But Amber to me as a character is like what really makes it work. Uh, Elise Dufour puts on a gr- fucking phenomenal performance as this character because she's so sincere with everything. Like she's, she's a, a shitty person. Like she starts out as a shitty person and she never really evolves or anything. She's here to rob this house and get the fuck out of there. She, she doesn't really appreciate the people around her or anything. But she does immediately have an affinity for for the kid, Kevin. Like, she's not completely black and white in regards to being a criminal. She just doesn't... She just figures, this dude's rich, let's rob him, and then I can move on to, like, try to have a better life or something. It, it reminds me a lot of, like, a silly version of uh, Don't Breathe. Very much so, yeah.
0: There's a scene fairly early on in this movie where... Kevin finds Amber kind of skulking around and comes to her, asking her what she's doing, clearly very suspicious. And Amber immediately realizes the jig is up and says, look, I know I hated it whenever I was your age and people talk to me like I'm a little kid, like I was a little kid. So I'm just going to level with you. I'm robbing your dad. Just go like play in the bedroom for a little while. Everything will be fine. I'm not going to hurt you just we, we can both have a nice night and then never see each other again like that is such an amazing character moment early on that tells you so much about amber and about the relationship she's going to have with this kid yeah because there's something so endearing that even before even before the movie gets serious there is still a a reasonable amount of concern that she has for the kids like she's not there to actually babysit them but she would still rather they had a nice night and like they weren't scared by anything she was doing if she were ever uh if she ever bullied the kids at any point in the movie this would immediately become a completely different film like you'd just be watching the babysitter at yeah, this exactly. point but the fact that the fact that they keep the thread that, no, she does actually like the kids and wants them to get out of this alive and immediately sees Kevin as an ally when things go bad. That is such a unique way to tell this kind of story. And it so immediately endears you to these characters and to the movie itself. Like, it's it's weird that in a movie this fucked up and nasty, there's kind of a sweetheart to it without it ever really feeling like there's a big sweetheart to this.
1: Yeah, it never pushes it in your face, but it's there. Like, that scene where Amber reads a story to Kevin, because she's, I had to explain to her that his mother died and he's having, like, a really hard time, and she clearly recognizes his father just doesn't give a shit. And we'll get to his father, which is one of my favorite goddamn characters in the movie. In film history, maybe. Um, And she just immediately goes, okay, I'm going to do what I can to try to give this kid, like, a bit of a nice evening, and try to help. I'm like, I'm on his side, so I feel bad for him. Like, reads him a you know, reads him a story, stays with him so he can go off to sleep because she understands the problems he has. And there's this broken connection between the two. And then when everything goes down, the fact she immediately goes into protector mode as well and becomes an amazing final girl through that process. But and continues to straddle a line between like. She never becomes heroic in a good kind, like, a good person kind of way. Like, she's the most down-to-earth, normal final girl I've ever seen in that she's not good, she's not bad, she's not even really gray. She's just in this situation and is reacting kind of normally, which is surprising for a movie that is so cartoony in every other aspect of itself.
0: Yeah, it's, again, it's a definitely a movie that would not work if it weren't grounded in a, a certain amount of emotional reality. It's, especially since with so many of the other characters give such cartoonishly, like, unlikable performance very intentionally so. Uh, it just immediately endears you to these characters having to deal with these fucking jackasses. <laughs> like, you're 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 so annoyed whenever normal horror movie characters show up that you're immediately allied against them, like, on Amber's side. And it's, it's very delightful whenever things go uh, full horror movie with them. Soon yeah. after.
1: And they're all, like, different shades of cartoon character. Like, they're all not the same type of horrible person or horrible, like, g- comedic type. Like, they're all different cartoons. Like, the father has maybe one of my favorite jokes ever. he says, okay, I'm going to get the sad story out of your way. So my wife died. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, don't be, you didn't kill her. (laughs) That that is the perfect (laughs) With this
0: amazing Jeffrey Combs performance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so Jeffrey Combs. Just, uh, it's so scene, it's so scenery chewing narcissistic. And like almost acting like a arch Steve Carell character or something. (laughs) <laughs> and then you get into Ember's like fuck buddy, who thinks they're in love and he's her boyfriend, is like the most stiff, like stiff back, like do du- like not douchebag, but just nice guy, that kind of guy who thinks he's like the lead character, who also slowly starts to fall apart throughout the end. Like he thinks he's the straight man in the movie. You have, and then you Amber's- get to
0: the actual like male lead. Vincent, who <laughs> when you first meet him is exuding ethics and video game journalism energy. Yes. And then slowly becomes like the closest thing this movie has to like a male lead. <laughs> like an adult male lead. He, he becomes a sub-hero of the film.
1: Oh, like you said, he's a goddamn American hero. What's great about Vincent is he the first time you see him, he's just standing in his garage as he lives in a fucking garage. And you think, Oh, that's a joke. That's the only time we're ever going to see that character. Then he shows up again to continue the joke of what a fucking, like, internet loser douchebag he is. Um, like, tipping his hat, a lady kind of guy. When he just comes to the door to ask if Amber needs any help with anything. And then he leaves, and you think, oh, they, can, they, they, ta- they tagged up on that joke. That's the last time we're going to see that character. And then Amber just ends up going over there when shit go- starts going wrong, and he knows a lot about the occult and just becomes another main character. He knows magic. Like, he becomes rapidly useful so quickly and is fucking awesome, honestly. I I want to see a spinoff with Vincent.
0: Oh, with him and Nick Frost's character from Attack the Block as monster hunters?
1: <laughs> he throws spells at ancient witches. And has weed. He's the ultimate friend. And I like how him, like Amber, does not talk down to Kevin at all. Like, there's something uh, pleasantly surprising about the way the children are treated by certain main characters, like mostly Amber and Vincent, towards like talking to Kevin and stuff where they don't talk to him like they're kids in any way.
0: In some ways, it's almost where uh, the film draws its moral lines, like how you treat the small children in the room. Yeah. Which I like that because that's not horror movie morality at all. This movie does not play with horror movie morality tropes at all. Like uh, Amber is fairly morally great. She's not a perfect survivor girl. Like you said earlier, like the easily disposable nerd dude is secretly the hero of the film. The boyfriend is a dude who's ch- taking casual sex way too seriously. Like I love that Amber is a stoner, and that never really comes up or is a big joke at all. There's just a no, the quiet joke of her increasingly getting too high to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I I did not notice this joke until my girlfriend pointed it out whenever I was re-watching it a few weeks back. But every time she goes off to smoke a joint and comes back, Kevin tells her she smells really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, the first time I watched it, I thought that was just a joke about the kid being creepy. But no – Count it every time she comes back. He tells her she smells very nice because he can tell that she smells like weed, and he's having fun with her.
1: I I did not I catch that, that at all. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I completely went over my head. This is really good fucking joke writing in this movie. Like, just it can work completely as just a straight comedy. I I cannot stress that enough. It's just good jokes, like really subtly good jokes that they, that they are from like any level of comedy. Like, there's. Super arch cartoony jokes like her friend having cocaine on his nose and shit while trying to move a TV and accidentally breaks it. And, and then just like subtle stuff like that. Like just very clever wordplay.
0: Oh, God. Like, I mean, we haven't re- like even got into like, what the shtick with the father is. The paranormal investigate uh, – the uh, occult es- – the occult expert – who is just trying to promote a pilot he wants to make for, like, a ghost adventure show. Because that in this day and age, that's exactly what that kind of dude would want to do with his time.
1: And what a brilliant setup up for, for something. For him to actually call it out as, this is a paranormal event. Like, I want this to happen. I want witches to be unleashed. Oh,
0: oh he's so happy his son accidentally re- releases three demons that kill everybody.
1: three demons by the way which i've been obsessed with this the three mothers which they're, they're named after the argento characters of course but i've been completely obsessed with the fact that backstory wise they're like if the sanderson sisters weren't in a family movie
0: i feel like that has to be intentional they have a book
1: exactly like they're so hardcore like this is R-rated like 70s horror Sanderson sisters like this this is what this, this is like the Sanderson sisters if they were in an A24 movie. <laughs> with a great look yeah, too they, like the movie doesn't have a lot of money but I love how the witches look. Like the fact they can get away with them essentially just kind of wearing costume like scary costumes but it's very effective.
0: It's very reminiscent of what Doherty did in Krampus. Yeah where you you kind of have the mask face uh, subbing for the makeup job that you would expect for them to do, but with uh, the lighting and the cloaks and everything, it works so well. The the witches end up having a lot of personality despite not really speaking or communicating in any way. It's all just through, through body language and how they're presented.
1: Yeah, well, they do a great thing where they possess the one girl, who is puts on a fucking brilliant, like weird ass performance as she's possessed. She has to be the mouthpiece. It's but it's it's like the it's there's some, so many different visuals going on with it's a joke that they possess the ditzy tall blonde who's wearing cat ears. But also Which I'm convinced
0: has to be some kind of elaborate demons reference.
1: It has to be. But it's like the cat ears make it seem like she has horns. And, and it's just like, there's so much, like, legit comedy just going from they're possessing the, the ditzy blonde girl wearing stupid fucking cat ears who's fucked up on cocaine. But also she's, like, taking bites out of people and, like, just—I love how they keep having her just at the window going, and just flicking her tongue back and forth. I love the fucking fact they just get it, annoyed at finger. her at, at a certain point.
0: I love that this is one of the few movies where they think to have the possessed character be weird and off-putting before the possession. So it takes a while for people to notice.
1: Yeah. I I love that. Even when she's like, like going up together. Oh, child. She's so strange. Just kind of like go with it. Like, I guess that's just what she's doing. And what, and I love how it's because it's a double-edged thing, right? It's almost to save money you could say in, in a lot of ways so that way you don't have to have the witches show up or, or do anything for constantly throughout you can have a presence that's very simple to show and then you have the added joke that it's that character that's the fucking menace of the movie like this is the villain to defeat is that chick
0: <laughs> yeah i feel like if they had a bigger budget that would have allowed them to do a bunch of crazy creature effects and maybe have the witches like be a super physical uh, presence like spells and shit I don't think that would work anywhere near as much like I love how low key this movie is throughout even in its finale
1: oh yeah you get to have characters just having comedic scenes like in rooms and trying to come up with plans just arguing that Vincent really probably shouldn't be the one doing the running (laughs) Or Vincent trying to teach them all a spell, which is still one of my favorite things. Yeah, we've never seen that, have we? Like, the character who knows magic never just tries to teach the fucking words to anybody else, and that would not go well.
0: Despite the fact that uh, magic in films is usually portrayed
1: as pretty goddamn simple. Yeah. I mean, Uh, we've talked in large part about Harry Potter, which has no effort put into any of how the magic is done at all. We've seen Doctor Strange. I know it's just saying words and flicking your wrists around. You can have fucked up hands and it still works. Yeah, there's so much
0: inventiveness to this very simple movie. Like Even visually, this movie pops so beautifully. And it is with the most low-budget gimmick I think I have ever seen utilized in a horror (laughs) film.
1: I've been... Fucking obsessed with how they do this because it's both a low budget gimmick and it's just a joke at the lighting's expense. Like this is a Christmas horror movie, like we said, and because there's Christmas lights everywhere, everything is lit like a fucking Italian giallo film. Like it looks like an Argento film. Everything is just there's green rooms and splashes of red for no fucking reason. Sometimes under beds are green for some. <laughs> Like, there's just blue and red and green just fucking everywhere because, well, there's Christmas lights. Why the fuck wouldn't it look like that?
0: And it's done it in a way where it doesn't feel like you're being absolutely smashed in the face with it. But it's not subtle either. Like, we're not talking like, oh, there's some Christmas lights up in some of the rooms. And, like, on the close-ups, it kind of looks like uh, giallo. No. This movie is red and green. And blue. And the blue mostly comes from Amber. Uh, Something I I didn't uh, even notice until rereading your review earlier, that Amber's red hair and blue blouse make her pop perfectly against all the Christmas lighting.
1: She is a walking giallo effect. I love it. It's so fucking iconic looking. She doesn't have to do anything or wear any kind of special outfit. She just stands out it's fucking perfect.
0: Quietly iconic is how I would describe a lot of things about this film. Yeah. Like this is the least, this is the least self, uh, this is the least self-aware breakout movie. I, I have seen from horror like in quite a while, like Amber feels like a, Amber feels like a legendary survivor girl in the making. And the, and it, that movie ac- accomplishes that without ever feeling like it's trying to go for that. Like, the yeah. movie knows exactly like at what level it's playing at, and because it's not being overly ambitious, it ends up standing out
1: all the much more. Yeah, it's really refreshing. Not to say there's, like, a constant barrage of of movies from from uh, kind of the indie scene right now that are are constantly striving for that, but it feels like while they're all coming from the same place of just trying to get something creative out because there is a as a ceiling you can break through a little bit easier I, I do feel like there's a little bit more of trying to strive past what you're doing with some of these movies um and that's where you get a lot of like oh they they probably needed to dial this back or they were a little bit too ambitious here Night Sitter doesn't try to do that. It has a very simple story. It knows exactly how to tell it well, what it wants to do creatively. It knows how, want, what, it's, what it's trying to accomplish fun-wise. And it executes it. Like, it doesn't try to go too far in any direction. It keeps it contained. It keeps it to character. It keeps it to comedy. It keeps the dialogue. It keeps the effects low and simple. Just a little bit of experimentation. And gives itself a premise where it can get away with well, it's not really supposed to look super expensive because that would ruin it. So it doesn't try to strive for that. It doesn't strive to, even though, you know, I I would love to see it on Shudder, but it doesn't strive to, like, we're going to end up in, you know, this spot and and we're going to, like, bust big or anything. It it reminds me a bit of, like, Host. Like, I feel like Host comes from a very similar place of, like, not trying to do anything but make this thing in this moment. Night Sitters is totally just we're in this moment and here is the film we created. Very much so. And perhaps most importantly
0: of all it is a movie that knows when to get the fuck out of there before it outstays its welcome. Like you get a 30 minute sitcom of Amber and the kids and then you get an hour of just straight up uh, crazy ass giallo witch action and then the movie's done. Like, I, I, there's nothing I respect more than a horror movie that knows
1: exactly when to end. Exactly. Like, I, I appreciate just the whiplash, like, this is done now. And it feels earned. Like, sometimes that doesn't, that plays more out of a place of budgetary restriction. Here, it feels very much like, no, it's designed this way. And it's perfect. You get, like, a final sca- like, you get a final jump, but it, it ends on a perfectly nice note.
0: Oh, it's so nice to see a small-budget indie horror movie that doesn't just stop and then cut to credits. Like, <laughs> oh, you actually had you, had you had a plan for this. You didn't just run out of money and then have everyone die.
1: You didn't decide to get, like, all French artistic within the last 30 seconds. Yeah, please stop doing that.
0: Have you learned nothing from the original cut of Clerks? It's been
1: done, sir. <laughs> Oh, it's uh, – I, I don't like it when movies Dante it.
0: <laughs> when movies don't escape the quick stop.
1: <laughs> Stuck in the quick stop forever. Quick stop straight to hell. Um, One other thing I, w- I do want to point out before we um before we start wrapping up is – I don't know about you, but I constantly – I really want the score by itself. I love the score. Of this movie. Oh, the,
0: sc- the score is so good. Such a – uh, goblin-esque like a fun Italian synth score that actually doesn't beat you beat you over the head with the fact that it's a giallo synth score, Like much like the lighting, it knows how to play it just right, where if you know what, what this is supposed to be, you get it if not, it's just an awesome synth score for this movie that fits the action perfectly, it's so
1: there's so much energy to it I watch a lot of Giallo throwbacks, obviously, because it's me. And um, one thing I can never really stand is it's a the scores tend to be constant barrages of goblin throwback synth. Um, and we've seen a lot of like a resurgence of synth and horror, and a lot and most of the time it's played great. Like to me, synth is very much like the score to horror. Um, a lot of the times, and I'm oh, glad yeah. to see it making a comeback. And used legitimately, not just like, hey, remember the 80s? Um, but a-, a lot of times we do see it overused and it's just it's just bombarding and it's unnecessary in a lot of instances. Night Sitter doesn't do that. It, it's a synth, it, like, it plays synth, it goes for that bombastic goblin feeling and it does it beautifully, but you're not, like, listening to a, a scene between Amber and Kevin and there's just, like, this synth score playing or or, you know a dawn of the dead-esque goblin theme going back and forth or or suddenly you're in inferno and it's kind of funny
0: it it would be hilarious if over that scene of vincent and amber smoking weed you just had a john carpenter score blaring (laughs) which some movies would do a modern john carpenter score too
1: oh so there's like guitar and shit that'd be kind of metal um (laughs) some movies do that though and it It ruins scenes, it ruins character moments, it makes the entire movie feel like it's a montage, and it's going for something else. Like, I have very mixed feelings on uh, The Stranger's Prey at Night, and while I like listening to the score by itself, I do not like the use of the score in the movie itself, because it feels like it's intentionally just going, hey, remember these type of movies from the 80s? takes away from so many different scenes in that movie for me, even though they make good sequences. To me, it feels like everything's a really cool island sequence that's fun to watch but doesn't come together as a coherent whole. Night Sitter doesn't have that problem. Each The music changes appropriately for the tone and knows when to break out into those moments.
0: Now, What we're saying is the Night Sitter is a movie that escapes
1: the quick stop. I like this shorthand we've accidentally invented. <laughs> I like how it can be used for anything, even stuff that's not necessarily wrong with clerks, but I just like saying, escape the quick stuff. <laughs> the name of my autobiography
0: also just to tag up on your point about the strangers prey at night this is going off on a a tangent for a second but i cannot stand whenever people defend that soundtrack by saying oh well uh it's not score it's diegetic so it's cool that the killers are playing that to make themselves feel like 80 movies slashers i'm still thinking about the score though yeah i should not be thinking about the score
1: also, it's not diegetic. I'm sorry. Like it, like, it happens like once. Fuck you. And no, it's like, it's it doesn't blend in. And it's not like one of those, like, yes, in Baby Driver, you're supposed to be thinking about the music. You're not supposed to be thinking about the fucking score while watching strangers play at night. It's like a character constantly playing, like, Beethoven or something. Like, what, what if a character just walks? I don't know. I would actually love a killer that played Beethoven. That would actually be kind of cool. But what if a character just walked out? Like, what if Childs just had a fucking boombox playing Ernie M- Morricone's fucking th- theme to the thing? And it was, oh, oh it's, it's diegetic now. It's even deeper. <laughs> diegetic symphonic scores don't work. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm getting mad. I feel like I'm doing a Joe Bob rant, but I'm just getting mad now. Oh. <sighs> But
0: uh, the pitfalls of horror nerds getting a little too nerdy with their movies aside.
1: This podcast in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I I cannot recommend The Night Sitter enough. Even if you're not a fan of GLO, you're not a fan of slasher movies. It's just a, a fun time. Like I said, it's a perfect like movie to put on with your friends. It's a great movie to see people react to the first time if they know absolutely nothing about it going in.
1: Oh, yeah, I have had a ball just getting people to watch the Night Setter. And it's so much easier now that it's on – it's on Prime, so no one has an excuse. If you have a Prime account, you can watch it for free. Um, if not, uh, I believe it's, it's on 2 d too. Yes, I, I think so. Um, And I, fingers are still crossed that it ends up on Shudder. I'm going to start, I swear to God, on Twitter. I'll start it tonight. I'll, I'm going to start tweeting Shudder constantly. Get the Night, sh- night Setter. I want to see it on there. I want to see it explode because it is a – it's an excellent movie. It's like the perfect. Th- there are certain horror movies I think that are perfect for the horror community that bring can, can actually bring the horror community together to make like a shared experience. And I know that's um, you know kind of wishy washy to to sort of say, but I feel like we, that those that do exist and they're they're very important to the horror community. I think Night Sitter fits into that perfectly, especially now where you see a lot more group watching through Twitter and whatnot uh, of horror movies during COVID and, and all that, and more people trying to experience that or kind of yeah, being rekindled through uh, you know Joe Bob or Sven and stuff like that. I, I can see The Night Sitter fitting firmly with the other films that are kind of on regular rotation there and go down as like a new cult classic and I still want a goddamn sequel. Oh, there's no reason why this couldn't be the next host. And starting right here on Box Office Pulp. Every episode from now on will be about the Night Sitter.
0: Oh, I'm I'm fully in favor of
1: this. We didn't have anything going on beforehand. Also, send me Night Sitter merchandise if uh if at all possible. I would really like Night Sitter merchandise. I just want a prop of that book. That too. Uh that cannot be burnt. Um yeah, I've technically gotten numerous people. Dozens of people. People of the dozens to watch the night sitter. So, I, a crew hat, maybe? T shirt? Wristband. I didn't even wear wristbands, but I'd take a wristband, like a rubber one or something. Like, I don't know. It could just be green.
0: Mike, was this entire kind of... podcast just an elaborate scheme to get you swag?
1: Yeah. I respect it. Look, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Jamie. Every episode of this podcast is an elaborate scheme to get me swag. <laughs>
0: i haven't bought clothes in 10 years i subsist (laughs) entirely on merchandise
1: i currently have my blumhouse um airpod holder just around my genitals right now covering it like a weird (laughs) loincloth
0: you've just been eating neon genesis evangelion pasta for the past (laughs) decade (laughs) which you can do i looked this up once you can survive For several years, with everything in your home, including food, being Neon Genesis Evangelion merchandise, because there's that fucking much of it.
1: This, uh, Jamie, it sounds like you're creating a challenge. Is this how we go viral? (laughs) I'm 100% for us locking ourselves into a house with nothing but Evangelion merchandise, and then live streaming 24 hours, I assume in Japan, and... I mean, we won't make money, oh. let's be honest, but we'll become famous. Oh, it
0: can be like that guy on the, re- the Japanese reality show that had to uh, buy all of his shit
1: online through contests, and yes, everyone just yes. watched him e for a year. Junko Junsai, I think was his name. Ah, yeah, legend. Legend, great guy. Did, did not know how to wear clothes afterwards, because it went that long.
0: Yeah, that's a weird thing nobody talks about. Japan just did old
1: boy for real with a dude once. Yeah, look that up. It's a, it's a rabbit hole. And honestly, I'd probably be into doing it. I'd like to be part of some kind of weird social science experiment.
0: I feel like your entire life has been building towards you dying during a social experiment. It's how you'd want to go.
1: Yeah. And uh... your
0: corpse would leave behind a mystery that would befuddle investigators for decades.
1: Which is all I want. I would like there to be a series of YouTube documentaries with someone like in a monotone voice telling my story <laughs> and trying to get you're to the just bottom found, of the mic.
0: You're found in a cornfield three states over from where you live with your body mysteriously decayed, even though you've only been missing for 24 hours.
1: In your Not breast pocket shoes.
0: is a scrap of paper covered in gibberish.
1: <laughs> from a single book, find it. Anyway, and that's how badly
0: I, we want you to watch The Night Sitter.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, it works in some way. Um, my lonesome death of mystery aside, uh, check out The Night Sitter. And as far as this podcast goes, you can, of course, find it at boxofficepulp.com, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Amazon Podcasts. We're on Twitter at BoxOfficePulp, Facebook.com slash back Box office pulp Podcast. I'm at Lucky Deck Napier on Twitter myself. You can of course read my reviews for various other horror movies like the Night Sitter on horror dot com. And uh Jamikins. Ah, you can check me out on the interwebs at MondoFunky.
0: And also uh under Comic Macabre on YouTube where I have a single episode of my uh, comic book review show up there and looking to get some more episodes out uh, soon this year now that the world is only
1: a little bit ending just a little bit it's still ending though so don't you know don't get your hopes up too much folks at home it it will end and we're all going to we're all going to probably die um sorry i don't mean to end on an existential note here but it looks like that's going to happen um Sorry, I didn't mean, to, didn't mean to make it dark, but, you know, at least it's not by witches. Good night, everybody. Mike has to watch a lot of YouTube for his job. Anyway. Fuck Rodan. And like that, he's not gone. Take that, Geyser Sozai. Folks, before we head on out, I want to announce this is only part one of our look at the Night Sitter. Next week, or just already sitting there in the feed depending on how far in the future you are, we sit down to talk with the writer-directors themselves, Roller Disco Massacre, John Rocco, and Abiel Brun, uh, along with a few other special guests. And we'll get into where this unique little beast of a flick came from. So tune on in. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production.
0: Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight.